talk about doubt. Ooh. I was preparing for this sermon, and uh, I was telling my lovely wife, Brianna, about what I'd be preaching about. She goes, you always get up there and you tell these, like, gut-wrenching personal stories and always so dark and heavy. And I was like, that's what we're doing again this week. <laughs> so be prepared for that. But I, did, I promised her and I promise you I'm preaching twice in a row, so next week will be lighter and I'll make some more jokes, I guess. Doubt. <laughs> let's talk about doubt. Um, Here's my gut-wrenching story before we uh, get us down for this. Um, So I was going to start off with a song, um, and I thought, I was was writing the sermon, and like all the points were coming to me, and I was like, yeah. And then this story kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. I already have a sermon illustration. I got the song, I mean, a sermon illustration. I was like, how would you have to tell him about this story? So here's the story. So I moved to Kansas City. I grew up in Tulsa my entire life. Moved to Kansas City to go to college. Um, I met this girl. Whatever. We got married. <laughs> That's the dark part. <laughs> it's all sunshine from here on out. No. Um, so we moved back here. We moved back to Tulsa after I graduated. Um, my parents were in kind of poor health, and uh, um, so we moved back here, and I was just having a rough time. I thought it'd be really great. I moved back to my hometown. I got this beautiful girl on my arm, you know. Uh, but man, I was, I was in a rut. Um, I had hopped jobs thinking maybe it was where I was working. Um, we moved into a house, uh, which was a great house. It was, it was too expensive for us. Um, our finances were in bad shape, and I was, I was kind of at the end of it. It was, it was tough uh, to get up in the morning and go to a job that I hated. I'd actually, at one point in time, I'd timed how long it took for me to get to my car to my desk and clock in, and I would literally wait in my car until like it was time to go, and I knew I could get in and clock in in time because I hated being in that building so much. I think worst of all, in addition to the financial troubles and the kind of social issues I was having at the time, um, my marriage was starting to suffer. And to be brutally honest, Brianna and I were arguing a lot, like daily sometimes. Um, And looking back on it, I realized it was probably just all the stress. But after a particularly brutal argument one day, um, she'd had enough, so she left the room. And I went to the darkest place you can usually go after an argument, in a room by myself with my own thoughts. Terrible place to be. <clears throat> and all I kept thinking about was all the things I had tried to do to make my life better. I picked up extra work. Um, 
to try and help our finances. I had reconnected with friends in Tulsa. I thought maybe my social life, you know, was like if that was going good, then that would be great. I picked up hobbies. I, I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff that I was just like, maybe this, this is it. This is, this is gonna make it better. But after this argument, I realized that none of that was gonna help. And so I sat on the edge of our bed and I did the only thing I could think to do. And I cried. Uh, and it got really intense after a while. And it, this sounds like I'm making it up and it sounds like a movie, but it got to the point where it was so intense, I was literally on my knees at the edge of my bed with my face buried in a comforter, screaming at God, what do you want from me? What do you want? Because I felt like I had been abandoned. I was mad. And so I just got to the point where I said, look, whatever it is you want, whatever it is I'm doing wrong, you just tell me now. Because I'm done. And then I got the clearest answer I think I've ever gotten from God in my entire life. I guarantee it was. People always say, like, how do you know God's talking to you? You know when God's talking to you. And I can guarantee it was the clearest answer I'd ever received. So I quickly called Brianna back into the room, and I said, I need to tell you something. Now, I realize now in hindsight, <laughs> it probably sounded like I'm getting a lawyer or like, you know. <laughs> but I said, there's something I need to tell you. And so I proceeded to tell her a story that I have probably told a hundred times since that day. And it was a story about a camp trip. When I was 16, I went to Falls Creek Baptist Camp in Davis, Oklahoma, and they had an altar call because we're Baptists, and uh, <laughs> like you do, um, and and I was I felt this calling to go down the aisle, and so I did. And when I got there, I panicked, and I told the guy, "Hey, um, I'm here to rededicate my life," because like everyone rededicates their life at camp. <laughs> Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm rededicating my life. But what I wasn't being honest with myself about was that God was actually calling me to ministry at 16. And it took me almost a decade to actually come around and say, okay. So that's what I told her. I said, look, this is going to be a long process. This is going to be a lot of research. And seminary is going to be tough. Um, but... I want you to stick with me because despite all the stuff that I thought I was going to do in life, this is, this is actually what I was called to do. So for a long portion of my life, I doubted God's plan for me. So much so that I completely ignored it, act like it wasn't even a thing. Through my schooling and my early ministry, I started to see the same doubt that I had in other people's life. And as I started studying scripture deeper and deeper, I started recognizing doubt in the lives of people in scripture. And it absolutely amazed me because I always think of these people as super faithful and that doubt was this evil, terrible thing and that, that no one, if you're a real Christian, you don't doubt. You know, you have this faith in God and it's strong and, and you never doubt. But what I figured out was that doubt is this prevalent part of the human experience that doubt's okay. 
And I want to unpack that a little bit for you today. It's not insurmountable. It's a good thing. Let's talk about doubt. You may call it in sea, but you've only lost the night. Preset all your pretty feelings. May they comfort you tonight. And I'm climbing over something. And I'm running through these walls. I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I believe. Everything you're trying to say to me. That was a song called Believe by a group called Mumford and Sons. <clears throat> and it's, uh, the lyrics are written by a guy named Marcus Mumford, who's the lead singer and kind of the face of the band. 
Um, just a quick word about Marcus. He's the, he's the son of two church planners through the Vineyard Organization um, in England and Scotland. Um, so he grew up in the church. His dad's a pastor. Um, you know, like, it seems like every 10 years or so, we get this resurgence of, like, Americana bluegrass that comes back, like, oh, brother, where art thou came out, and, like, everybody was, like, into bluegrass all of a sudden, and then, like, 10 years later, everybody's got banjos in their bands, and, and so we get this thing that comes back. In 2007, uh, they formed, Marcus formed Mumford & Sons with some friends of his here in the U.S., um, but the, the cool thing about his band is that, you know, it's, it's pop music, it's secular music, um, but he was steeped in faith from an early age. And so almost all of his songs deal with at least some sort of religious overtone. And the thing that I like about Marcus and about the band is that it's, it's not about the like happy sunshine parts of Jesus, because we got to do that too sometimes. We got to do the happy Jesus, you know, sunshine parts. But sometimes being a Christian is really hard. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate the fact that he kind of, addresses that. So this song talks about doubt. So what is doubt? Let's, uh, the first few lines of this, I'll just break down the song as we go along here. Um, he says, you may call it in this evening, but you've only lost the night. Present all your pretty feelings. May they comfort you tonight. Um, in an in a interview with Rolling Stone, Marcus talked about this, and he said it's, it's an absolute indictment of the, uh, the modern church. Um, if you think about it, a lot of times we come into a service and it feels like everybody's phoning it in, you know? They're just, they're just calling it in for the night. They're, uh, they're, not, they're not displaying any true faith, but Marcus talks about it in that second half. He says, uh, he says, I'm climbing over something and I'm running through these walls. Despite the fact that there's all these people that seem faithful and they go to church, he's struggling and he's working through all of these boundaries and all of these issues. He's struggling with his faith. So he can't even at this point pretend. I can't even pretend to be at church. I can't even go there and act like I'm worshiping because I'm dealing with all this stuff. That's what, that's what doubt is. It's a struggle. And I think, I think we all struggle this way. And, and in my mind, it's, a, it's kind of a pendulum where we just kind of like move back and forth between doubt and struggle and faith. And doubt, and then we struggle back to faith. And I think, I think this song from Marcus kind of hits in that middle there where he's struggling with stuff. He's, he's got doubt, but he's struggling. And then hopefully we're getting back to this faith. And so it brings up this dichotomy when we, when we struggle as Christians. We feel like we're supposed to be this like shining example, this new creation in Christ, this faithful being. But in reality, inside, we're dealing with a lot and we're struggling. And so it kind of leaves us in the middle in this struggle between both sides. I ran across this quote by C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> Uh, next slide. Ooh, keep going, sorry. Doop, doop, doop. There it is. He's writing on faith. Now, C.S. Lewis, of course, the famous atheist turned Christian, massive, prolific Christian writer, brought us Narnia. Um, you gotta love that, at least, right? So he's writing on faith here, and he says, Now, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. For moods will change, 
whatever view your reason takes. I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. (laughs) This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That's why faith is such such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where to get off, You can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. (laughs) Gotta love a good digestion joke. Often our doubt is just a function of mood. I was in a terrible mood when I was talking to Bree for the first few years of our marriage because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was, I was derelict in my duty as a husband. I was derelict in my duty as a Christian. And so I struggled with doubt because my mood was off. I was having doubts in actuality about God's plan because he let me know early on what his plan was. I just didn't like it. I was mad at God and I was doubting him because I didn't feel like he was near me And in reality, he wasn't because I was far from God. It wasn't that he was far from me. But like in the song, I just continued to struggle through. Doubt is often about understanding. We attempt to understand what God is saying, and a lot of times our mood gets in the way and and we make up things. this really what God's saying, and da, da, da. But for about 10 years of my life, I knew I'd been called to the ministry, and it wasn't a joke. It wasn't wishy-washy. I knew it was a thing. I just didn't like the plan. In the next part of the song, he says, I had the strangest feeling, your world's not all it seems, so tired of misconceiving what else this could have been. Sometimes we think we know God's plan, Sometimes we guess at God's plan, but we're confused. And so I got to thinking about this when I was writing, and I, I looked, start at the beginning, right? You're looking for something to write about. So I looked at Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. It says, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. And then, then the great promise he gives Abram I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, those who curse you. I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, just as God said, and Lot left with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot with him, along with all the possessions and people they had gotten in Haran, and set out for the land of Canaan and arrive safe and sound. The reason I emphasize 75, because this is a whole new plan for him. We recently, literally as of this last weekend, my parents moved and they'd lived in the same house for years. So they accumulated a lot of stuff. But they recently moved houses and they're in their mid 60s. And I was a little, skeptical as to whether or not this was late in life for them to be, they bought a bigger house, a little more maintenance. It seemed like a big leap for this, this part in life for them. 
I can't imagine being 75 and God goes, hey, you know, by the way, um, many nations coming from you. Um, anybody that ever has a family, it's going to come out of you. Um, I know you're 75 and everything, but uh, just pick up everything you got and go way over there. <laughs> okay, I'll just pick up everything I got and I'll go over there. But that's the plan. So God sets out a pretty clear plan for Abram. And we think we know what that means. You know, um, even now, uh, once I surrender to the ministry, there's stuff that comes up all the time, and I'm like, man, that wasn't, I didn't think that was part of the plan. You know, like, I, like I'll be sitting in my, like my day job is I'm a counselor at TCC downtown, and, uh, and I have my degrees up on my wall because it makes me feel important. And uh, people come sit at my desk, and they'll say, master's in theology. And I say, yeah. Well, what do you do with that? Well, I'm, a, you know, I'm a, a pastor at a startup in South Tulsa. Hey, let me ask you about something. <laughs> Is it about your GI Bill? Because if it's about your GI Bill, I'd love to answer it. But <laughs> if it's not. But I can't tell you how many times it comes up. It comes up in the, the line at the grocery store. Uh, we were... When they had that really bad ice storm, we ended up canceling church uh, this past winter. And uh, I was actually in line getting bottled water and I think some salt um, for the sidewalk because we were still planning on, on doing church. And uh, I was going through and the, the cashier was having a really tough time. And uh, so I go to pay and I was like, how are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you seem really, really chipper. And I was like, Yeah. He's like, what's all this stuff for? And I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church in South Tulsa. Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> this wasn't part of the plan. Like, I was just going to go to school. I was going to learn some Jesus stuff, maybe write some books. <clears throat> to play counselor to everybody. I want. No, but it's great, though. I mean, the thing is, it's not a terrible thing. Like, I love walking people through this tough stage in their life. I feel like obviously that's what God's put me here for. But we think we know the plan sometimes, and sometimes God's like, that's not the whole plan. It's part of the plan. <laughs> so let's fast forward 25 years. We'll look in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 2. It says, Abram was 99 years old, so almost 25 years. Abram was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him again and said, I am God all-powerful. If you obey me and always do right, I will keep my solemn promise to you and give you more descendants than can be counted. Hold on now. <laughs> He's 99 years old. I, like, I'm thinking at 75, if he picks you up and moves you and you're like five years into it, you're going, many nations, we're working on that. Like, no, nothing. But God waits almost 25 years, comes back. We get to the point sometime in God's plan where we don't even know. Hey, what are you doing? Now, there were times that I stalled out in the admissions process to get into seminary or times in seminary where they were like, you should really start looking for a church to do ministry in. And I was like, okay. You start looking, and you're like, nobody's hiring, you know? Like, so you're just, you're like, you know you're in the plan, but you're like, I don't, I don't even know. And, and Marcus talks about this in the song. The, the, the chorus is, I don't even know if I believe. So you get to the point where you think you're working the plan, you think you're listening to God, but you just don't even know anymore. 
The story in Genesis continues, chapter 17, verses 17 through 18. By this time, God's changed Abram's name to Abraham and his wife's name to Sarah. It says, Abraham bowed with his face to the ground and thought, I'm almost 100 years old. How can I become a father? And Sarah is 90. How could she have a child? So he started laughing. And then he asked God, why not let Ishmael inherit what you've promised me? See, he had had a, a child with a handmaiden of theirs. Um, it was outside of God's plan, um, evidenced by the fact that he wouldn't inherit what God had promised Abraham. What happens sometimes when we get in the middle and we, we don't know what the plan is quite yet, we start making plans for God. I'm making it up as we go along. Well, maybe, and I, was, I would do this too, I was like, well, you know, I'm in seminary and I'm learning some stuff. Maybe God just wants me to teach. Like maybe I'll just go on and get a doctorate and I'll teach in seminary or I'll teach Bible courses at the community college or da, 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 da. And he's like, no, you really need to look for a church. I'm like, no, you know, hey, let me teach. Let me just do this. I started making plans for God. But the thing is, it's not our plan to make. It's his plan. See, here's the thing. We struggle with these plans and we keep trying to, try to understand. And we go through that cycle of doubt and struggle and belief and doubt and struggle and belief. But let me make this clear about doubt. Abraham wasn't unfaithful at any point. They were talking to a person that, that was literally at points in his life talking to God, like audibly. I'm talking to you right now. The dude was just talking to it. So it's not at any point in time that he was like, well, God doesn't exist, so I'm moving back, you know? Like, he was faithful. He believed. He just had doubts about the plan. Doubt is not unbelief. I found a really interesting word story where they're talking about the difference between disbelief and unbelief. Disbelief is whenever, like, you kind of know, but it's just improbable, you know, you're like, uh, okay, that doesn't sound right. Unbelief is an absolute denial of what's going on. Doubt's not unbelief, it's just disbelief in the plan. In Genesis chapter one, we see that, that Isaac is born, we see the beginning of the nation of Israel, and God's plan comes to fruition, despite how improbable it actually seemed at the time. But the important thing is that Abraham just never lost faith in the plan. It seemed like he would at some point in time. He tripped up, he made a mistake, but he stayed faithful. Henry Drummond is a, a Scottish, was a Scottish theologian, um, had this to say. He says, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is con content with darkness, loving darkness rather than light. That's what Christ attacked and attacked unsparingly. When Thomas, doubting Thomas, came to him, denied his very resurrection and stood before him waiting for the scathing words and lashing for his unbelief, 
They never came. They never came. Christ gave him fact. Facts. We see this analogy of a race throughout the Bible. Paul uses it a lot. Run the race set before you. I always think of doubt now as a breather in the race of life. If you've ever been, and it's been a long time since I've been running, but <laughs> if you've ever been running and you just get to the point where you gotta stop, you know, and you, you know, you just, you can't keep going. Get a few breaths in you. And then when you stand up, you're ready to go again. That's what doubt is. That's how doubt manifests in our life. It's not that you quit. You didn't drop out of the race. You didn't say, forget this. I'm going home. You said, just, just give me a minute. I don't, I don't think I can do this right now, but if I take a minute, and I catch my breath, maybe I can keep going. It's not about winning. It's just about keeping pace and about finishing. The very last part of the song, it, it actually reads a bit like a prayer. As a matter of fact, when we get to this part of the song, if I'm listening to it in my car, I get a little, a little choked up. It reminds me of that time I was on my floor in my bedroom crying out to God. He says, so open up my eyes. Tell me I'm alive. This is never going to go our way if I'm going to have to guess what's on your mind. Say something. Say something. Something like you love me, unless you want to move away from the noise of this place. The book of James is really clear about asking God for wisdom. It, it just quite frankly says if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. In a moment of frustration and weakness, I did exactly that thing about 10 years ago on my bedroom floor. Even in the midst of doubt, when it feels like we've messed up, God will answer your prayer for wisdom.